All right, Jubilati Sunday, we're four Sundays in. Here we go. Morning, girls. Hey, Grandma, how are you doing? Good. All right, let's pray and let's go. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Lord God Almighty, who every year renews the face of the earth and whose will it is to renew the world fallen into sin and death, Grant us grace, we pray, to discern your Son in the, drawing near of, in the drawing near of true life, that we share in his new creation, the one who lives and reigns with thee in the Holy Spirit, risen from the dead, one God, ruled without end. Amen. Now, I always think it's uh, troubling to have people stop talking. You know, you got, one of the interesting things is, you know, you just hear people chattering around about, and then you don't have them chatter anymore, and that's always, it's always sad to stop them. Morning. Um, uh, we're just going to finish up with, does anybody need this? It's what you've had in the past. Anybody need one? Can you help, can you help me, Mr. Marcus? Thank you. You pass those out. Raise your hand if you need one. We've got some. This is the last time we're going to talk about this for a while. Um, after this week, almost the next month is absorbed now with meetings about um, voters meeting type things, information meetings coming up, I believe. So um, I think this is, this is it for a while then. So I push you to point number eight. But I, uh, it's just great. It's great having people around just chattering. Um, here's the thing. You know, some days it can be difficult living in the church, but some days it's great. And if you can cling to the days when it's really great, the church will grow automatically because people want what you've got um, look at the bottom of page this is point number eight the bold print this is from Bonhoeffer we'll just look at a couple of these when people are deeply affected by the word they tell other people when you get good news you tell other people when you care about things or you have good fortune you tell other people God has willed that we should seek and find God's living word and the testimony of other Christians. It's a crazy way that he put the church together, but it's a way that works. He tells one person good news and they tell it to the next person. Therefore, Christians need other Christians who speak God's word to them. I need you and you need me. We need each other as those who speak God's word. And I need you. So that's, you know, the negative side is sort of watch your mouth and the eighth commandment and make sure that all you speak is true, but... Beyond true is what is joyful and true. They need them again and again when they become uncertain and disheartened. That happens to all of us. Because living by their own resources, they cannot help themselves without cheating themselves out of the truth. Thing, the thing that we're probably all best at is, is self-deception. And we need each other to, in a gentle way to keep us you know, on the straight and narrow, but also to keep us encouraged they need other Christians as bearers and proclaiming, proclaimers of the divine word of salvation. Their own hearts are uncertain. Those of their brothers and sisters are sure. And I'm regularly sure you're better at things than I am and truer than I am and, and stronger than I am. We all feel that way when we're honest about each other. At the same time, this also clarifies that the goal of all Christian community is to encounter one another as bringers of the message of salvation. There's only two kinds of language in life. There's language that helps and there's language that hurts. And every word you utter can be parsed in one way or the other. Every word you utter either helps or hurts, period. 
And if Christians are those who bear, speak, bring words of salvation, then people will be affected and they'll show up. As such, God allows Christians to come together and grants them community. And that's why you can work from that paragraph back up to what I'd written above, which is when people are honest with each other, then you have a hopeful, joyful community. And when people are dishonest, you have an unhopeful, unjoyful community. Joy is a mark of the gospel. And so for us to live and die for honesty means we live and die for hope, means we live and die for joy, which means the church grows both with numbers and in maturity. Flip your page over a little bit. I'm going to keep pushing you because there's some things to do. This mutual consolation, you know, this talking of the joy that we've got, this speaking of the incarnation, of the resurrection, of the life that you have here, makes the body of Christ possible. When God had mercy on us, when God revealed Jesus Christ to us as our brother, when God won our hearts by God's own love, our instruction in Christian love began at the same time. When God was merciful to us, we learned what it is to be merciful to each other. This is why it's so important to be merciful to your kids and to your friends and to the people who are around you because in our actions we teach each other mercy. When we receive forgiveness instead of judgment, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. So when we receive what we didn't deserve, when we, forgived, when, when we received forgiveness instead of judgment, we too were made ready to forgive each other. What God did to us, we then owed to each other. The more we received, the more we were able to give. Now this is, see, this is why if you want your church to flourish, you pound people with grace, not with the law. You never bully people, you never wedge people, you never force people into a corner to get what you want out of them. If you want the church to flourish, you give what Jesus gave you. You give them grace, means of grace, which is why we're so focused on word and sacrament, baptism, absolution, supper. If you want people to change, they change by way of grace. By way of law, they become more of what they already are, hardened, mean-spirited, ruined, despondent. By grace, they become what they're meant to be, forgiven, and then all else, merciful, obedient, joyful, the more we receive, the more we're able to give. The more meager our love for one another, the less we're living by God's mercy and love. Thus God taught us to encounter one another as God encountered us in Christ. You're the body of Christ. We are Christ embodied. When the Father looks at us, he sees his Son. He will not destroy his Son. He will not leave his Son dead. He will not put his Son to hell. He will not leave his Son un unresurrected. He will not leave his Son anywhere but at his right hand. And so it is the same for you. Welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ welcomed you, for that is the glory of God. Yeah? And those things are non-negotiable in the church. You know, my predominant experience in churches is not joy. My predominant experience in churches, broadly speaking, is not joy. If you just listen, just count your friends and how they talk about their church. Everybody goes home and talks about the church today for better or for worse. The predominant experience in churches is not joy. It's troublesome, it's complaining, it's kind of talking about each other, it's should have been better, could have done that, didn't get my way, blah, 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 blah. 
if you want to be another kind of church, the way to be another kind of church is to be given grace. With grace comes forgiveness. With forgiveness comes honesty. I, poor miserable sinner, I love you, you're a poor miserable sinner. Honesty for yourself, honesty in God. With that comes hope, with that comes joy, and with that, becomes, that comes visible community. So if you want people to live as a Eucharistic community, you give them the Eucharist. You know, if you want them to, 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 to live as a community that speaks well of and to each other, you give them words to say. That's why it's so important that people come to church and, and spend their time in Bible study and read their text. I mean, here it is. If you don't have it, you can't give it. And it doesn't come naturally. It comes from outside. So the most important thing is for people to be just completely drenched in the gospel. You can't give what you haven't got. You can't teach what you haven't been taught. But the other side of that is, if you can, you know, ah, if you can be filled up on that, life will be good. Right belief and right action are inseparable. We never separate being from given from living forgiven. Justification and sanctification are both gospel words. One is being forgiven, one is living forgiven. Right? So you can't just bump along. Your life actually changes. When Jesus is resurrected, everything is new. When you're baptized, you are in Christ. You know that, I don't know if you caught that this morning, but the new, if you were at 9 o'clock, the new baptismal liturgy has an exorcism. Depart thou unclean spirit and make room for the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You actually say to the kid, you're demonic and you need to be exorcised. And then receive the Holy Spirit, the mark of the Holy Spirit upon the forehead and upon the heart, marking you as one redeemed by Christ's crucifixion. That, that was what, what you just witnessed was an exorcism. And then a baptism and then a chrisming, a sealing in the name of Jesus. So that kid will never be the same. So, you know, if you want Eucharistic community, receive the gifts, pay attention to the gifts, tend the gifts, love the gifts. Now I'm turning to the next page. And give up all your false options. You know, what happened to that kid this morning was that all the false options have now been left behind. What happened at Easter was that all the bad stuff stays buried, got buried and stays buried, right? We grow then. Why do we grow? Well, one, because the Lord gives us gifts that grow automatically. All his talk of the parables about seeds that grow and leaven that makes a loaf get big and, and uh, you know, all the, he just constantly talks about growth, even though it's quiet growth. It's always growth. And the next thing is, is, you know, without, I can't help you it, as much as I could help you. If I, if I grow more and have more, I can give you more. If you grow more and have more, you can give me more. If you grow more and have more and are more joyful, people are attracted. People, people leave because they're sorrowful. They come because they're joyful. It's not rocket science. The problem is we need to provide them with the joy that's not of the world. And it's painful sometimes. It's painful to be honest. It's painful to love your enemies. It's painful to stick in there. It's painful. It's terrible. And it's also the only way through, because at the end of that is forgiveness, at the end of forgiveness is honesty, at the end of honesty is hope, and at the end of hope is joy. Boom, 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 boom. It's simple, but it's not easy, like so many things in the church. So we don't get to pick and choose who we want in or out of the community. You can't say, I, I'm not coming to church because I don't like somebody. You can't say that, because Jesus likes them. One of the hardest things, I've realized this now, having all these interns over the years, one of the things that we have to be most careful with is, and I, this probably happens in, I suppose this happens in every job. I, I can 
I guess it does happen in every job, but one never suspects it in the church. But one of the things we have to do most with people is we tend to have, with the interns, one of the things we have to be really careful of is they tend to do the things they like to do and ignore the things they don't like to do. But the problem with that, as you all know, is many of those things that they don't like to do are people. Crabby people. Stinky people. People like you. Just kidding, just checking to see if you're awake. Just kidding, it was just, it was just a throwaway to just see if you were still there, okay? Just, forget about, forget I said that, I didn't really mean it. So, you know, the thing is, is everybody, everybody, I mean, who doesn't want to come see Grandma Monty? Everybody loves Grandma Monty. In fact, you know, we should just, I mean, who doesn't love her? I mean, how easy is it go to see her, right? You know, it's just, I mean, just, we're blowing the air conditioner down on her so much she has to bring her own blanket to church. She still comes. I mean, look at that. Could you, could you be any meaner to that woman? No, but she still comes back every week, okay? You know, anybody can go, but we get, you know, you know, it's true for me, it's true for other people, it's true for all. You know, we all tend to, you know, part of the Christian life is, you know, you know, when the Pope washes people's feet on Monday, Thursday, I'm just convinced that all 10 or 12 of them have been, had, been, had a pedicure the day before, you know. I'm just, I'm just convinced. But then there's the way that, you know, Mrs. Uh, Yankee did it for her first graders, and she must have stunned them. He says, I, you walk in the door and she says, would you like your feet washed? Monday, Thursday. And to be so loved and taken by surprise is the way of the gospel, you see. So you don't get to pick or choose who you want in your community. And the discipline of the community is to really learn to love people that you don't like. And that's, that's the discipline of the community, to love people you don't like, to be honest with people you'd rather lie to. You know, to stick in when you'd rather flee. That's community, because on the far side of that is forgiveness, and the far side of that is hope, and on the far side of that is joy, and joy is visible. I mean, we stand in the back when y'all are talking after the 9 o'clock service and don't know if we should come out. I wonder if we just stood back there and had a cup of coffee, how long you'd keep going. You would never leave, because you all like each other. You wouldn't leave till the 11.15 people came, right? You wouldn't. It's great. But now the next thing would be to be looking for the people who are leaving because they haven't connected to anybody yet, or nobody's sort of drawn them in. Well, I don't know who did it. I didn't work with this baptismal family, but they were so grateful for all the people who apparently spoke to them, loved them, took care of them. It's Gaining's group of folks from downstairs, so I haven't really connected with them yet. I know them kind of by sight, but whoever you were that took care of them, the grandfather pulled me aside and said, wow, and the grandmother too, actually, separately. What a lot of nice people. They, they did everything for us. They told us, ooh, ah, e, you know. How great is that? Or um, I, heard, I was walking down the hallway of the school the other day, and some, some mother said as I was walking by, I can't wait till my kid gets to first grade. I mean, come on. How much better does it get than that? So... You know, how do you have that? How do you get Christian maturity? How do you get people who love people they don't like? How do you get people who stick in? How do you get people to forgive? How do you love your enemies and do good to those who hate you? How do you do it? How do you do it? How do you do it? And how do you know when to do what? It's a measure of maturity. It's a, it's a question of maturity. And maturity comes with Christ's scripture prayer, the divine service, and then the actions. You get good at what you do repeatedly. I'm so, just so struck by that first. I don't know what's going to happen today. And... You know what? Whatever's going to happen is going to be done by 1215, thank God. So, you know, 
But the most striking thing, that, that was just the most amazing thing on that Thursday night when everybody came and nobody talked about it. They talked about everything else. It wasn't because it wasn't important. They'd done that. You get good at what you do regularly. You, get, you can get good at being nice to people. You can get good at being a community. You get good at it by doing it. Not because anybody's forcing you to do it, because because Jesus loved you, and you know what it's like to be loved, and so you love other people. That's what it's supposed to be. So the church is not about me, and it's not even about us, and it's not about our orders or our action, or, but it's about the Lord and his order. What, how does he want? Who does he want in everybody? And his action, what does he want from everybody? Deep faith. It's about how he's with us, and it's possible. Now, I just, I put this these two things here. If you're searching for the perfect church, you'll always be disappointed. We will never be the perfect church. Organic has this thing which he attributes to Billy Graham, but he's not sure, so I put the question mark. But it's brilliant, okay? If you find the church, it'll be, if you find the perfect church, it'll be ruined as soon as you join it. I mean, is that great? You find the perfect church, as soon as you join it, it's ruined, okay? I mean, that is great. How much better does it get than that? that that's a sort of honesty. If you, and see, this is the brilliance of having this confession. I'm a bum. And then the Lord says, ah, you know, I, well, I died for bums, just like you. Oh, that's good. Well, then maybe we can move on from something besides being a bum. Okay. Right? God is not a God of emotionalism, but a God of truth. Only the community which enters into the experience of this great disillusionment, the disillusionment is that you're icky and so am I, with all its unpleasant and evil appearances, begins to be what it should be in God's sight. You may be able to tell me, and I may be able to tell you that I'm perfect, and I may be able to get by with it for a while, but you can't fool God. And if you try to fool him, your whole life's a lie. So better to just come free of it and begin to grasp in faith the promise that's given to all. The sooner this moment of disillusionment comes over, the, comes over the individual and the community, the better for both. However, a community that cannot bear and cannot survive such disillusionment, clinging instead to its idealized image, I'm perfect, you're perfect, our church is perfect, everybody's perfect, blah, 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 when that should be done away with, loses at the same time the promise of a durable Christian community. When you're faking it, you're fragile. Because you're always going to be found out. You saw this week? I couldn't believe it. You know, these are the sort of things that the dean of admissions at MIT was fired because she never went to college. She faked her resume. Do you see this? It's like, MIT, a research university? You think you might do some research on the people you're hiring. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, how, how, and then somebody said, She's so brilliant, it's sad for her and sad for us. And you had the sense that, although it probably couldn't have ever happened this way, had, had she not lied about it. She did one year of college and then dropped out. She's the dean of admissions at, at, at MIT, and you said, somebody very sadly said, it's sad for her and sad for us. And I think what that person meant was, she's so brilliant and she does such a good job. We're a, we're a really good college and college doesn't matter. It was this great realization, and the whole thing that broke it all down was the lie of it. That's such a sadness. Sooner or later, it's bound to collapse. Every human idealized image that is brought into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be broken up. 
so that genuine community can survive. You can have a fake community or you can have a real community and the difference between fake and real is if you're lying or telling the truth. Okay? Those who love their dream of a Christian community more than the Christian community. This is like people who are in love with love. You know people like this? Yeah, they're in love with love instead of in love with somebody else. Love with the notion of love. You're in love with the idea. You know, you're, you love the idea of serving people. You love the idea of washing feet. But have you ever looked at what's between most people's toes? Yeah, that is really, that is not good. So, you know, the thing is, but if you really talk about that, I mean, everybody, anybody can talk a big ball game. But, but see, part of the fun is, and we've done it with money now pretty well, part of the fun is we talk about it until we all get used to it. I, you know, it's like... Uh, how many, how many medical people, like the first time they like cut people open, how many med students like go face down into the wound? There must be some number of, a few, always kind of go like right onto the appendix, don't they? But the thing is, is, then they drop out, okay. <clears throat> I was going to not use the dropout example. I was going to suggest that people eventually build a tolerance to it and then kind of don't even notice it. Can you just go with me? This would be a good place. If you were going to lie today, this would be the place to lie. Yeah. To help the community. If you were going to lie to help the community, this would be the place where you might want to do that. You know, it's like so many onerous things we do in our life. It's like loving our spouses. It's like loving our kids. I mean, there are things we don't, you know, we're not all lovable. We're not all perfect, but we learn to love things, tolerate things, appreciate things in each other that as a one-off, you know, first experience, you know, we have to learn to do it. See, those who love their dream of a Christian community more than the Christian community itself become destroyers of the Christian community, even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. God hates this wishful dreaming because it makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. It does it on our terms, not on God's terms. Here's God's terms. We all come in and say, we are horrible. And we don't just say it, we actually mean it. And you hear the person next to you say, I'm horrible. And then you just want to look over and say, I already knew that about you. But then you need to say it about yourself as well. I'm horrible. And then the person next to you says, you know, I still love you. So next page, when we sin even with our best works. You know, our best ideas. We sin even with our best works. And even our best works need to be forgiven. And we can't be judging God and others and ourselves by our standards. You know, you and I don't get to decide what the community is going to be. You and I don't get to decide how the community is going to be run. The community runs by grace. You know? The community runs by dead people being resurrected. And then by trying to leave the buried things buried and live within the living things. To do any of this is if we create the community, as if we shape it and judge it, that's a lie because this is all Christ's work. To know that we're forgiven sinners and to know both parts of that, that you're a sinner and also that you're forgiven, then you finally have a chance. You know, what we should be saying in our church and in our school, I mean, the thing that, the thing that we have that nobody else has is not that we aren't icky, we are, but it's that we know what to do with icky people. In fact, we love them in spite of their ickiness, and we love them out of their ickiness. That's what we know how to do. That's what the church does. And when you see churches where people are throwing chairs or talking each other down or splitting things up, 
the community is being run by a way that is not indigenous to the church or to Christ. The way of Christ is to love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, and expect nothing in return. That's the way of Christ. The moment you're absorbed into the community, it's no longer about you. You got the crosshairs on you until you're baptized. As soon as you're baptized, everything becomes a focus out. Christ takes care of you, you take care of others, and you give thanks to Christ for that, and it just keeps going. Boom, 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 boom. Which is why people can't skip church and can't miss the Eucharist and can't go without remembering their baptism. And frankly, why we are indulgent at some bit, and there is a point also, and this always takes the wisdom of you know, the old men and women in the congregation, the, the, the spiritually old, who have to decide how much we indulge and then where we finally have to say no more. That's always so difficult to try to figure out. It's so hard when you have a real person in front of you with a real sin to know whether when to rebuke it and when, when to let it go, how far to let it go, what will be best for them. It just, you know, it's the old thing where, this, where they said a spiritual father needs a thousand ears and a thousand eyes. It's just so difficult. But that's very different than winking at it or allowing it or letting it in, invade a culture. In general, the culture that you want is a gracious culture that will love people even in their worst moments, but not let them remain at their worst. That's what we're trying to do, okay? And if you can do that, then you have hopefulness. Because God has laid the only foundation of our community, because God has united us in one body with other Christians of Jesus Christ long before we entered the common life with them, we enter into that life together and with Christians, not as those who make demands, but as those who thankfully receive. You can't come to this community demanding it's not what you're meant for. You're meant to come to this community to give gifts, to contribute. Yeah, there'll be days when you'll need to receive, but you won't demand that. You'll sort of weep your way into that. And then those who are around you, part of the community, will see that and they'll engage you. We thank God for what God has done for us. We thank God for giving us other Christians who live by God's call, forgiveness, and promise. We do not complain about what God does not give us, right? Rather, we're thankful for what God does give us daily and is not what has been given us enough. Other believers who will go on living with us through sin and need and under the blessing of God's grace. Is the gift of God any less immeasurably great than this on any given day even on the most difficult and distressing days of a Christian community, even when sin and misunderstanding burden the common life, is not the one who sins still a person with whom I too stand under the word of God. You know, Nouwen did this brilliantly too when he talked about finding our joy in the people who are sinning against us. This is fascinating when, when somebody can come to that level of maturity and see that the people who are torturing them especially in the church. We expect people in the, on the world to torture us, but even when people in the church are torturing us and we come to the point where we see in the person who is being cruel to us the opportunity to love them and to change them. Um, that's quite a remarkable thing. Will not another Christian, will not another Christian's sin be the occasion for me ever anew to give thanks that both of us may live in the forgiving love of God in Christ? See, when, you, when, you, when, when Christians are unreconciled, 
when they split up, when you haven't talked to your brother for 10 years, what, pick something, I don't know. You've missed the chance to live together in the community of Christ. Therefore, will not the very moment of great disillusionment with my brother or sister be incomparably wholesome for me because it so thoroughly teaches me that both of us can never live by our own words or deeds. We're broken and we can't fix it. But only that by one word and deed that really binds us together, the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. So, you know, here's the bottom line, I guess. Um, Jesus is here to give it and we can have it if we want. But we have it on his terms and we have it wholly or not at all. And it takes wisdom and courage and patience to kind of work it through. And on the far end is hope and joy. But if you do that, you can't stop a church like that from growing because that's what everybody wants. Deep down in, in, in people's darkest moments, what they want is to be forgiven and to be loved and to be drawn back and to be in relationship and return to Eden. That's what people want. And if you can give them just a little glimpse of Eden here, if you can act in a way they've never seen anybody act in that way before, that is attractive to people. Of course, what an inexpre inexpressible blessing from God for the lonely individual is easily... Uh, let me start again. Of course, what is an inexpressible blessing from God for the lonely individual is easily disregarded and trampled underfoot by those who receive the gift every day. It is easily forgotten that the community of Christians is a gift of grace from the kingdom of God, a gift that can be taken from us any day, that the time still separating us from the most profound lowliness may be brief indeed. Therefore, let those who until now have had the privilege of living a Christian life together and with other Christians, pray God's grace from the bottom of their hearts. Let them thank God on their knees and realize it is grace, nothing but grace, that we are still permitted to live in the community of Christians today. And that's the bottom line. That's it. So, um, we always tend to end up where we start, uh, which is good. It's grace. It's grace applied to you in word and sacrament. It's seeing grace has been applied to those people around you. It's seeing Christ in them and being little Christ to them. And then creating a culture that promotes that is patient when people sin, but ultimately is intolerant of any attempt to hijack the community by way of our sinfulness. And when we can do that, you know, and it is a bumpy ride. There's no doubt it's a bumpy ride. It's just like your family. It's like your marriage. It's like your kids. It's not always smooth. It's a bumpy ride. But under grace, it's a bumpy ride. And if you can do that, boom, the church grows and people are loved and life is good. So um, how good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity. There you go, Psalm 133.1. All right. Um, it's 11. We should probably go. Thanks. I, yeah, I'm... Uh, I'm sure that the next few weeks are filled up with meetings at this time. You should come round about. Uh, there are things to vote on. Uh, confirmation is next week in the afternoon. 
And uh, the early, it looks like the ordination for Marcus Nelson is set the 3rd of June. I think it was at 4 o'clock last time, and I think that worked. So uh, it is something to see. Uh, no, the 3rd, the 3rd, the 3rd, yes, 1st Sunday, the 3rd, I'm sorry. Thanks for clearing that up. I, I, we sometimes speak church or talk, and then we, yeah, thanks. All right, let's pray and let's go. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. Thanks.